0: Roger Stone is arrested, President Trump decides whether to declare a national emergency over the border, and the FAA shuts down LaGuardia. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. I gotta say, the writers for season five of Trump, it's getting a little bit muddled at this point. Honestly, like, you know, there were some there were some nice storylines. They all seem to be coming together. They're coming together kind of quickly, kind of like Avengers Infinity War. And now they seem to be kind of splitting apart again. It's a little chaotic. The direction's a little messy. I'm not sure I can follow all the action, but don't worry. We will break it all down for you and bring you the latest. First, let me remind you that you need coffee to get through this stuff. And that's why you need Black Rifle Coffee, because morning coffee is an American institution. That's why when it comes to starting my day, I reach for the most American coffee on the market. Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee gives a portion of their sales to veterans and first responder causes. They roast to order, they guarantee a fresh, delicious coffee with every single order, and Black Rifle's Rifles Coffee Club makes things super easy. Just pick your blend and the amount you want, and Black Rifle ships your coffee direct to your door every month, hassle-free. Wake up with America's coffee that is Black Rifle Coffee. Visit visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Ben, receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Ben for 15% off. Again, BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Ben. The coffee's great. So are the folks who run the company. I mean, these are folks who are not politically correct. They're not going to back down in the face of silliness. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now and receive 15% off your order again. That is BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Ben. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Ben for 15% off. All right. So the big breaking news just moments before our show began today is that Roger Stone, has been arrested. Now you remember Roger Stone from such things as I have a giant tattoo of Nixon on my back and also I say weird stuff a lot. He's mostly known for being a <laughs> he's mostly known for being a political operative very friendly to President Trump. He has now been indicted. It went down like this. Apparently, CNN was on scene for his arrest. And people were wondering why exactly CNN was there. So there was a lot of speculation. There was a leak from Team Mueller to CNN that they should be there with cameras when Roger Stone was arrested. In reality, that's not what happened. CNN reporters apparently were at the D.C. courthouse. They saw some extra filings with the grand jury, and they decided to stake out Roger Stone's house, figuring that he was next on the indictment list, especially since Roger Stone himself had said he was next on the indictment list. So that's how we have this fascinating tape of an entire SWAT team going to Roger Stone's house. Now... Now, normally I'm not too critical of law enforcement because, you know, they do what they have to do. But I do wonder why it took an entire SWAT team to take down a 1,000-year-old man with a back tattoo of Nixon. I'm just wondering, like, was, was that super necessary? Did they think that he was gonna be holed up snorting lines of cocaine, and then he was gonna pull out a giant minigun and shout at them, say hello to my little friend? Like, what did they think was going to happen here? Anyway, here is what it sounded and looked like when the FBI arrested Roger Stone this morning. Breaking news this morning, the FBI has arrested Roger Stone, the president's political advisor. Exclusive footage you're looking at right now from CNN as the FBI arrives at Roger Stone's residence in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Okay, that's an FBI open the door. And now they're about to say another warning. FBI, FBI warrant. You can see Roger Stone With right Roger there Stone. a little bit behind that door and yes you know standard operating procedure for the fbi to show up heavily armed in and riot like, gear like this okay standard operating procedure maybe or they could have just called roger stone's lawyer and said we are coming to arrest you but probably they thought that he was going to destroy documents if he knew when he was going to be arrested the reason i say that is because they also raided his manhattan apartment on 117th street so what is the incitement all about people immediately are saying that this is all about russian collusion okay let's make clear There has still not been a single arrest for criminal activity related to Russia. The actual charges here, the actual charges are lying to the FBI, as have been the charges for everyone. So, the very short story of the Mueller investigation so far, you can read it one of two ways the very short story of the Mueller investigation. One way is people in the FBI did not like President Trump. That would have been people like Lisa Page and Peter Strzok. And they decided that they were going to initiate an investigation into Trump when he was a candidate. And now, they are racking up a bunch of charges because they got a bunch of schlubs to lie to them. And that's, what, that's the entire story of the campaign. It was initiated in bad faith, and these arrests are merely a consequence of when you ask political people embarrassing questions, they tend to lie to the FBI. That's read number one. Read number two is that the investigation was initiated in good faith, that the FBI saw a lot of Trump associates who were talking with the Russians. They saw a lot of movement between the two sides And they figured something was going on, so they launched a counterintelligence investigation that has now become a criminal investigation because of all of the people who lied to them. So we sort of have to determine whether this was a good-faith effort by the FBI or a bad-faith effort by the FBI. What has not been established at this point is that President Trump was involved in criminal activity with Russia. Now, again, that's a different thing than did President Trump and his campaign collude with Russia. So collusion was never a legal term. There is no crime of collusion. My producers and I collude on this show every morning. That does not mean that we have committed a criminal act, although some might want to arrest us for it. The fact that Trump and that Team Trump was working with people who were go-betweens for WikiLeaks is not quite criminal activity. Eugene Volokh had a long column about this in The Washington Post a couple of years ago in which he discussed whether it was, in fact, a criminal activity to work with foreign sources to reveal opposition research on your political opponent. Obviously, it's not. I mean, Hillary Clinton took opposition research on Donald Trump from the Ukrainian government, apparently, during the campaign. Politico reported that that was not criminal activity. It is not criminal activity to work with people from foreign countries to reveal information about your opponent. Now, could it still be collusion in sort of the colloquial sense? Is it bad that the Trump campaign was working with WikiLeaks, which is an evil Russian cutout organization, in order to target Hillary Clinton? Yeah, that's bad. That's not a good thing. From any moral point of view, you do not want to be colluding with WikiLeaks, one of the worst organizations on the planet, even if it means taking down somebody like Hillary Clinton. Now, listen, that battle was litigated and fought during the 2016 campaign. And so I'm relitigating something that's already been closed. In the middle of that campaign, Donald Trump was saying, I love WikiLeaks. So this is not a new issue. It's not as though he was hiding this at all. The real question becomes twofold. One, did Trump order this sort of collusion between the campaign and the Russians? And two, is that a crime? Because if it's not a crime, it's not impeachable. It could be politically damaging, however, and we'll get to that in just a second. First, let's talk about exactly what Roger Stone was arrested for. So the indictment charges that in or around May 2016, the Democratic National Committee and the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee became aware that their computer systems had been compromised. On or about June 14th, 2016, the DNC publicly announced that it had been hacked by Russian government actors. From in or around July 2016 through in or around November 2016, an organization, WikiLeaks, which had previously posted documents stolen from other U.S. persons, entities, and the U.S. government, released tens of thousands of documents stolen from the DNC and the personal email account of the chairman of Hillary's cl- campaign. That had been John Podesta. On or about July 22, 2016, WikiLeaks released documents stolen from the DNC between on or about October 7, 2016, And November 7th, 2016, WikiLeaks released approximately 33 tranches of documents that had been stolen from the personal email accounts of the Clinton campaign chairman, totaling over 50,000 stolen documents. So this is all stuff that we know, right? They're just recapping the story for you. Then here along comes Roger Stone. So what exactly did Roger Stone do? According to the indictment, during the summer of 2016, Stone spoke to senior Trump campaign officials about Organization 1, that's WikiLeaks, and information it might have had that would be damaging to the Clinton campaign. Stone was contacted by senior Trump campaign officials to inquire about future releases by WikiLeaks. So now it looks like Stone was sort of the go-between between between WikiLeaks and the Trump campaign. Again, that's not criminal activity, but it does look like what we would call colloquial collusion, that they were seeking and getting early warning from WikiLeaks about the emails that were about to be released. By in or around August 2016, Stone was claiming both publicly and privately to have communicated with WikiLeaks, because Stone is, as it turns out, more from, he's more from Veep than he is from House of Cards. By mi- in or around mid-August 2016, WikiLeaks made a public statement denying direct communication with Stone because they're a Russian front group who lies a lot. Thereafter, Stone said that his communication with WikiLeaks had occurred through a person Stone described as a mutual friend, go-between, an intermediary. This later ends up being presumably radio host Randy Credico. Stone also continued to communicate with members of the Trump campaign about WikiLeaks and its intended future releases. After the 2016 presidential campaign, the U.S. House of Representatives Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, the FBI and the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence announced investigations into the interference. And then Stone took steps to obstruct these investigations, according to the indictment. They say that he made multiple false statements to the House committee about his interactions regarding WikiLeaks and denied possessing records containing evidence of those interactions. They say that's false. And they say that he attempted to persuade a witness to lie and withhold pertinent information from the investigations. So here are the other relevant individuals. One is Person 1, a political commentator who worked with an online media publication during the 2016 U.S. presidential campaign. Person 1 spoke regularly with Stone throughout the campaign, including about the release of stolen documents by Organization 1. Speculation is hot that this person is Steve Bannon, who ended up becoming the Trump campaign chairman. Person number two was a radio host who had known Stone for more than a decade. This presumably is Randy Credico. So here is what Stone was doing, because they have all the documents now. Apparently, Stone sent an email to person one, presumably Bannon. this is what the media are reporting, with the subject line, get to WikiLeaks. The body of the message read, get to Julian Assange at Ecuadorial Embassy in London and get the pending WikiLeaks email they deal with the foundation, allegedly. This is July 2016. On or about the same day, person one forwarded Stone's email to an associate, who lived in the UK and was a supporter of the Trump campaign. On or about July 31st, 2016, Stone emailed Person 1 with the subject line, Call Me Monday. The body of the email read in part that persons 1 associated in the UK should see Julian Assange. On or about August 2nd, 2016, Person 1, again, presumably Bannon, emailed Stone. Person 1 wrote that he was currently in Europe and plans to return in or around mid-August Person 1 stated, in part, word is Friends in Embassy plans two more dumps, one shortly after I'm back, second in August, impact plan to be very damaging. The phrase Friends in Embassy referred to the head of Organization 1. That would be Julian Assange. Person 1 added in the same email, time to let more than the Clinton campaign chairman to be exposed as in bed with the enemy if they are not ready to drop Hillary Rodham Clinton. That appears to be the game hackers are now about. Would not be would not hurt to start suggesting HRC old memory bad has stroke, neither he nor she well." I expect that much of the next dump focus setting stage for the foundation debacle. So all of this early information coming via all of this. I'm sorry, Person 1 is not Bannon. I should, I should re- retract that. It's not Bannon. This is another character. We'll get to Bannon in just a second. So still, we don't know who Person 1 is. Person 1 is the go-between between WikiLeaks and Roger Stone. In a second, I'm going to explain the, the rest of the, of the indictment here. And again, nothing in the indictment specifically cites criminal activity between Roger Stone and the Russian government. Okay, We'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about how you can make your business not suck like apparently all the associates of the Trump campaign sucked at their job. <laughs> during the campaign. I'm talking of course about ZipRecruiter. Hiring can be pretty time-consuming. You post a job to several online job boards only to get tons of the wrong resumes. Then, you have to sort through all of those resumes just to find a few people with the right skills and experience. Those job sites that overwhelm you with the wrong resumes are not smart. That's why you need ziprecruiter.com/dailywire. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. They have powerful matching technology scanning thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education and experience and then actively invites them to apply to your job. So, you get qualified candidates fast. It's no wonder ZipRecruiter is rated number 1 by employers in the United States. We use it here at Daily Wire and if I do a bad job today, somebody else may be filling my seat thanks to ZipRecruiter. This rating Number one by employers in the United States comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a thousand reviews. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash If you love the show, show your support for the show and ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E, ZipRecruiter.com slash ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. Okay, so again, to reiterate the correction, person one is not Steve Bannon. We'll get to Steve Bannon in a second. So Roger Stone was coordinating with this person one who was apparently passing information from WikiLeaks. Starting in early August 2016, after receiving the August 2nd, 2016 email from Person 1, Stone made repeated statements about information he claimed to have learned from the head of WikiLeaks. So he spoke publicly about this over and over and over again, because if you are colluding with an enemy of the United States, presumably what you want to do is speak as publicly about it as possible over and over and over to show you're cool. That's exactly what Roger Stone did. I'm telling you, the, the best paper. A beginning on or about August 19th, 2016, Stone exchanged written communications, including by text message and email with person two about organization one. So person two is Randy Credico, apparently, and, and WikiLeaks and what the head of WikiLeaks planned to do. There's a lot of coordination over all of this. And then there was, and then the indictment suggests that Stone started coordinating with members of the Trump campaign. And this is where we get into the really dicey part for campaign Trump. Because if Stone were just dealing with WikiLeaks and then revealing it publicly online, not only is he a private citizen, but he's not even associated with the campaign. So there really is nothing with regard to the Trump campaign to worry about. But then things get a little bit dicey. So Stone started making statements to members of the Trump campaign and supporters of the Trump campaign. On or about October 3rd, 2016, Stone wrote to a supporter involved with the Trump campaign, spoke to my friend in London last night. The payload is still coming. Also on or about August, October 3rd, 2016, Stone received an email from a reporter who had connections to a high ranking Trump campaign official that asked the head of WikiLeaks. What's he got? Hope it's good. Stone report responded in part. It is. I'd tell that high ranking Trump campaign official, but he doesn't call me back. That high ranking Trump campaign official. That is apparently Steve Bannon on or about October 4th, 2016 the head of the organization WikiLeaks held a press conference but did not release any new materials pertaining to the Clinton campaign. Shortly afterward, Stone received an email from the high-ranking Trump campaign official asking about the status of future releases by WikiLeaks. Stone answered that the head of WikiLeaks had a serious security concern, but that the, the organization WikiLeaks would release a load going forward every week. So that presumably is Steve Bannon. So because, because there had already been public information about that email with the phrase, a load every week going forward. So apparently, Bannon and Stone were in communication. Bannon at that time was the chairman of the Trump campaign. Later that day, on about October 4th, 2016, the supporter involved with the Trump campaign asked Stone via text message if he had heard any more from London. And Stone said, yes, want to get on a secure line, got WhatsApp. Stone subsequently told the reporter, that the supporter, that more material would be released and that it would be damaging to the Clinton campaign. Okay, so again, none of this is the criminal activity. What he's being indicted for is lying about all of this. So he went in front of the House Intelligence Committee and he said that he had no documents that dealt with any of these questions. When he testified before the House Intelligence Committee in his opening statement, he said the hearings are largely based on a yet unproven allegation that the Russian state is responsible for the hacking of the DNC. And he said that members of the committee had made certain assertions which had to be rebutted, including the charge that I knew in advance about and predicted the hacking of the Clinton campaign chairman's email and that I had advanced knowledge of the source or actual content of the WikiLeaks disclosures regarding Hillary Clinton. Okay, now, how does this relate to Trump? Well, we've already mentioned we've already mentioned that there is a problem here with regard to Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon was associated with the Trump campaign. He was the campaign chairman. He served in the White House uh, as the as the chief advisor to the president. Okay, all of that is a problem for Trump. But there is one particular phrase that is a a bigger problem for Trump. Okay, this is from the report. After the July 22nd, 2016 release of stolen DNC emails by WikiLeaks, a senior Trump campaign official was directed to contact Stone about any additional releases and what other damaging information WikiLeaks had regarding the Clinton campaign. Stone thereafter told the Trump campaign about future releases of damaging material by WikiLeaks. Notice the language there. A senior Trump campaign official was directed to contact Stone. So in other words, somebody very high up in the campaign was told by someone presumably higher up in the campaign, wink, wink, nod, nod, maybe Trump, to contact Roger Stone. Now, this is not a criminal problem for the president. Saying to his people, go get Roger Stone on the phone right now, that is not a criminal activity. Even saying, go get Roger Stone on the phone right now, he may have information about information that's gonna drop, that's not illegal either. But it is a political problem for the president. And it's gonna continue to undermine his claims that there is no collusion between his campaign and... And Russia, because now we have two actual separate questions. One is, is there impeachable criminal activity here? And two is, did the Trump campaign collude with WikiLeaks? If, in fact, the Trump campaign knew that they were getting extra information from WikiLeaks, a Russian government front group, and it was being funneled via Roger Stone to the Trump campaign, that is collusion even if it's not criminal activity. And that's not good for Trump. Now, how does all this play out? Well, here's how it plays out politically. Politically. Democrats suggest that they were right all along that Hillary Clinton never would have lost except for Donald Trump colluding with the Russians. Again, the evidence of that is scanty. WikiLeaks was going to release this stuff anyway. They didn't need advice from Roger Stone on when to release it. And it turns out that there's no actual information in this indictment suggesting that WikiLeaks was taking advice from the Trump campaign. Rather, it seems WikiLeaks was giving advance notice to the Trump campaign, which suggests that they would have been dumping this material anyway. So take number one from the left is going to be Hillary Clinton lost because of WikiLeaks. Trump colluded. The Trump colluded part may still be true. We don't know yet. We just don't know. She lost because of it is pretty dicey. But if you think that's not going to be a turnout boost for whomever runs against Trump in 2020, think again. The Democrats are firmly convinced that the 2016 election was stolen from them, even though that is not true. They're firmly convinced that it was illegitimate, even though that is not true. They're firmly convinced that if they all show up, they're going to win in 2020, which may very well be true. Okay, So the narrative on the right counter countervailingly is going to be that there's no criminal activity here, that this was all a witch hunt, that it was originally started for no reason other than animus about President Trump, that you get a bunch of people in a room with the FBI and Congress and you ask them a bunch of embarrassing questions in politics and they are probably going to lie to you. And that if Mueller had launched an investigation or if the FBI had launched an investigation into Hillary and then actually interviewed Hillary without her lawyer present like Cheryl Mills and then asked Hillary a bunch of embarrassing questions, she would have lied about things if they had launched an investigation into Fusion GPS and the Steele dossier and Hillary Clinton attempting to gain information via a foreign actor, Christopher Steele, about Donald Trump, and then funnel that to law enforcement via Fusion GPS. If she'd been asked about that, maybe she would have lied. Maybe members of Fusion GPS would have lied. Maybe members of the Hillary campaign would have lied. We don't know because that investigation never took place. So the case on the part of the right is going to be In an investigation in which you ask people embarrassing questions, they tend to lie. If all you've got is that they lied to you without any evidence of underlying crime, then this really is a witch hunt. Now, here's the thing. Both cases are kind of true, right? It is kind of true on the part of people on the right that if a similar investigation had been launched in depth against Hillary Clinton, a bunch of people would have gone to jail. And it is similarly true, according to people on the right, that there is no underlying crime as of yet. On the part of the left, it is true that this is just more in, This is more evidence that members of the Trump campaign were warm toward collusion with Russia. So all these things can be true. And it's all going to play out politically. I don't think this results in impeachment. If all that ends up happening here is more of the same, just more information on members of Trump campaign lying about things that are embarrassing, all that's going to happen is everybody is going to be ensconced in their own particular political position and doubling down. None of it is good for President Trump, of course. None of it is good for 2020. But... It doesn't actually result in impeachment it does result in in more polarization and and hunkering down into our various bunkers okay i'm going to bring you the latest on the government shutdown in just a second first let's talk about your second amendment right so our founders knew that we had natural rights given to us by god but that in order to protect those natural rights we had to sometimes engage our natural rights to self-defense that's why the uscca is there what if i told you that when you walked to the mailbox today you will find the $1,000 you've been needing to finally buy the gun of your dreams. You could add a Kimber, a new hunting rifle. Well, that dream will come true for 10 of my listeners thanks to my good friends over at the USCCA who provide education, training, and trusted legal protection for responsible gun owners like you and me. But if you want in, you have to hurry. The USCCA wants to give you 10 free chances to win the gun of your dreams. Entry is easy, quick, and free, but it's almost over and it all ends next week. Just text WIN to 87222 to lock in your entries. This is indeed your last chance if you win. You get $1,000 to buy the brand new gun of your dreams. And remember, it's not just one gun. You get 10 chances to win. Not only is the USCCA on a mission to make sure every responsible gun owner is educated, trained, and protected, they just love giving away guns. But you're running out of time. Don't miss your last shot at getting the gun that you want. Text WIN to 87222 right now to get your free entries. Really, there's no reason not to. USCCA is a great organization. Text the word WIN to 87222. Again, WIN to seven. 222. All right. So the latest on the government shutdown is that things are beginning to get incredibly ugly. There was an attempt yesterday by some Republicans to fund certain areas of the government or at least get people their paychecks. Right? This isn't even about funding of the government. The government has not run out of money. It's just that the payroll operating services are not operating. So Republicans basically said, OK, well, you know, the government shutdown can continue in that we will not fund the government. There will not be a new continuing resolution to fund the government, but." People should still get their paychecks in particular areas of the of the armed services, particularly. Yesterday, Senator Ted Cruz got up and he said, listen, let's just fund the Coast Guard. I mean, for goodness sake, let's get those guys their checks. Every Republican agrees. Pay the Coast Guard right now. Senator Kennedy's bill did one thing and one thing only. It paid the salaries of the men and women of the Coast Guard. It didn't touch any other issue. Every Republican agrees with that bill. And the Democrats objected and said, we will not pay the Coast Guard. The Republicans are willing to compromise, have offered to compromise, and in fact, just now sought to pay the Coast Guard. And the Democratic position is no, 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 we object. Okay, And that, of course, is true. Democrats are not interested in reopening the government at this point. They think that they actually have stumbled upon a baton that Trump handed to them. And there's pretty good evidence of that by polling data. It is also true that as the shutdown gets uglier, people are going to get angrier and angrier over it. And they're going to ask, why doesn't one side or the other just cave? Now, again, if President Trump had spent the last month going around and saying, listen, all I want is this little pittance. Democrats won't give it to me. Let's just make sure that we're secure. If he had spent the last month really doing an all-out PR push, I think maybe the math is a little bit different. Maybe it isn't but things are certainly getting ugly quickly. According to Bloomberg, a speedy conventional wisdom is taking hold that the LaGuardia Airport closing in New York will precipitate the end of the stalemate in Washington. Indeed, security delays for air travelers are the shutdown's only real-life effect on many Americans because earlier today, the FAA announced that they were going to shut down all air traffic in and out of LaGuardia Airport, which is a major airport, obviously. One question is how this may affect the Transportation Security Administration's reputation and bargaining position on budget, potential personnel cuts, and the like. We're starting to see a revival of the term security theater, the idea that the TSA, which in a 2015 internal investigation failed to detect 95% of mock explosives and weapons, merely gives travelers a feeling of security without actually providing it. That, of course, is largely true. I think the TSA is a dumb organization overall. That doesn't mean that TSA agents are bad or that they're bad at their jobs. It just means that You didn't need the TSA in the first place. If we privatized security at the airports and Delta were responsible for security on Delta flights, you'd be better off. At least there would be legal liability lying with those companies. The TSA says more employees are reporting financial limitations and that is preventing them from coming into work. The Atlanta airport is experiencing the longest average wait time of 42 minutes. The national average is about 30 minutes right now. The FAA says in a statement, there's been a slight increase in sick leave at two air traffic control facilities affecting New York, as well as Florida, the FAA is adjusting operations to a safe rate to match available controller resources. So, as I say, LaGuardia, the new the newest information is that LaGuardia flights have all been halted as the shutdown hits air traffic staffing, and there are major delays in Philadelphia as well as Newark. So delays are going to start hitting the country. It's all it's all located in the east, basically. So you know, we, we will see how all of this how all this happens. People are getting optimistic that the shutdown is going to end, which is why stocks are going up. Stocks this morning have been up because people think that the shutdown is going to end in the very near future. There are a couple of different proposals on the table for ending the shutdown. President Trump suggested yesterday that he might declare a national emergency and then just fund the wall himself. Again, two questions would be one, if this is true, why didn't he just do it earlier? We have to go through five weeks of this. And number two. Is this really going to hold? Are the courts really going to uphold his ability to declare a national emergency and then redirect funds to build the wall? Dicey. Here's what Trump had to say about it yesterday. I have other alternatives if I have to, and I'll use those alternatives if I have to. Uh, We want to go through the system. Uh, We have to have a wall in this country. All right, so there is the president suggesting that he is going to do something else in order to end the shutdown. I think that's probably how this ends up going. I think a court probably ends up striking it down. I think the wall doesn't get built that way, but we will find out. One of the big problems here is that Republicans suck at PR. As I've said before, if the Republicans had made a full court press, not not Republican commentators, the Republicans themselves, if Trump had made a full court press, if senators had been out there every day on the campaign trail beating the drums for why aren't Democrats just giving us this money? This is not that hard. If that had happened, it would have, it would have been very helpful. Instead, you've got idiots like Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, appearing on national television and saying that Everybody is basically, what's the matter? Are people really going hungry? Oh, Wilbur Ross. Oh, Wilbur Ross. Apparently, Wilbur Ross is so disliked inside the White House, he shuffles around, I kid you not, wearing slippers in the White House with the Commerce Department seal, (laughs) like actual slippers, and he speaks incoherently in meetings, was the rumor. Here's Wilbur Ross speaking incoherently on national television. Mr. Secretary, there are reports that there are some federal workers who are going to homeless shelters to get food. Well, I know they are, and I don't really quite understand why. The obligations that they would undertake, say a borrowing from a bank or a credit union, are in effect federally guaranteed. So the 30 days of pay that some people will be out, there's no real reason why they shouldn't be able to get a loan against it. Okay, so, all right, Wilbur Ross, thank you so much for your economic insight. And then Larry Kudlow made a boo-boo. He then went on, he, he was on C-SPAN, and he suggested that the reason that volunteers, that people are showing up to work is not because they want their back pay, it's because they are personally loyal to Trump, which is doubtful at best. With respect to people who do have financial hardships, as someone was asking, they are coming to work and giving them 20, the same 24-7 work they always did. They honor us. And they do it because of their love for the country and the office of the presidency. And uh, presumably their allegiance to President Trump, but whatever, they're doing it. Give them some credit. You know, there's a lot of wonderful people in this country. Okay, they're not doing it out of allegiance to President Trump. They're doing it because if they leave their job, they won't get paid when the back pay comes in. I mean, that's the reason why you go to work. So all sorts of fun happening over with the Trump administration. This thing is going to come to a pretty speedy end at this point. People are annoyed. There's no upside. The only question is, is what Trump gets in return, if, if anything, at this point. Okay, in a second... I want to discuss the media and, and religion because the media have continued their attack on religion this week, not just Covington High, but an incredible tweet from a reporter over at the New York Times. We'll get to that in just one second. First, you're going to have to go over, go over to Daily Wire and subscribe. For $9.99 a month, you can get a subscription to Daily Wire. That comes along with the rest of this show live. You get to be part of the mailbag, which we are doing today. You will also... Get to be, see our, our live two-hour show later today. Every day, we do live two hours. We have a radio show. And during the breaks, we sometimes answer your questions. So you should subscribe just for that. We have all sorts of goodies. You should, you should subscribe at YouTube and iTunes as well because that way you get our Sunday special. Our Sunday special this week is going to be awesome. So go check that out as well. We, we just have all sorts of good stuff for you at all times. It's amazing. All you need to do is subscribe. For $99 a year, you get all of those wondrous glories plus this, the very greatest in all beverage vessels. You see it? Look at it. This. It will make your life better. Go get it. $99 a year. Go check that out right now. Also, make sure you subscribe at YouTube and iTunes. Leave us a review. We always appreciate it. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in America. All righty. So I, I do want to comment on the continuing media attacks on religious people. There was an astonishing, astonishing tweet yesterday for a guy named Dan Levin. Dan Levin says he covers young America and the issues they care about for the New York Times. Here is what he tweeted yesterday. Quote, I'm a New York Times reporter writing about hashtag Christian schools. Are you in your 20s or younger who went to a Christian school? I'd like to hear about your experience and its impact on your life. Please DM me. Okay, so basically, this was him trolling for a bunch of people who didn't like the religious school they went to so they can whine so he can write a piece about how bad Christian schools are. All of this is on the heels of Karen Pence going back to teach at a Christian school last week and Covington Catholic boys going to the March for Life this week. All of this is designed to take down Christian schools. This is the next agenda of the mainstream media. It's funny. If you wait for about five minutes, the media usually make their agenda pretty clear. When it came to Karen Pence and Covington Catholic, the agenda was not Karen Pence or the boys of Covington Catholic. The agenda was that religious schools are inherently deeply terrible. That they are repressive, they are oppressive, they are mean to people. And you saw the media's narrative shift over the course of the Covington Catholic story, specifically in this direction. It went from, here are these evil racist boys, look how racist and evil they are, to, well, maybe they're not racist and evil per se, but maybe other kids at those schools are racist and evil. And then when they couldn't find evidence of that, it became, well, maybe other schools in the diocese are, are homophobic. And then when that fell apart, it turned into, well, maybe religious schools in general are just bad. Maybe religious schools in general are the problem. This rage against religion is going to grow. The secular left feels that they have religious people on the retreat, and they specifically feel that because the Trump administration has been very good on religious issues, and because Trump himself is unpopular, they're going to have running room if Trump were to lose in 2020. This is really what they're setting up for. Prepare yourself. If Trump loses in 2020, if Democrats take back the Senate, there will be a push against religious people in this country worse than anything we have seen in the last several decades. It will be brutal. It will be an attempt to get rid of accreditation for religious schools. It will be an attempt to take away nonprofit status for churches and synagogues. It will be an attempt to take kids out of homes if those kids are not supposed to have met leftist standards of social engineering. That's where all of this is going. And the media are leading the charge in all of this because a lot of members of the media are people who probably went to parochial school and now they're on the left and they don't like that they went to parochial school. They don't like the parochial schools. And so they are going to attack religion with alacrity. This is an astonishing tweet. Hashtag expose Christian schools. I mean, just for a little history lesson, Christian schools are responsible for the vast majority of education in the history of the West. The vast majority of great universities were founded as Christian schools. Education itself in the Western sense was a creation of the Catholic Church. The notion that Christian schools are an inherent bad and that they must be done away with in favor of what, our garbage public school system? That that's the solution? It's pretty incredible. But what's going to happen next is a hardcore push from the left to get rid of Christian schools altogether. Because centralization of government control is always the agenda. Now, speaking of centralization of government control under secular leftists, it is amazing to watch as Democrats come out of the woodwork to defend Nicolas Maduro. So Ilhan Omar, one of the fresh faces of the Democratic Party, so fresh, so face, Ilhan Omar. So Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, who is an anti-Semite and a terrible person, Ilhan Omar, tweeted out, and I say, when I say she's a terrible person, I mean that in 2016, she recommended early release for people who are linked to ISIS. Like, Ilhan Omar, not a great person. Ilhan Omar tweeted out with regard to the coup attempt in Venezuela, or the, de- the, de- the attempt to depose Nicolas Maduro, the dictator of Venezuela. She tweeted out, quote, a US-backed coup in Venezuela is not a solution to the dire issues they face. First of all, let me correct myself. It is not, in fact, a coup. It is a democratic opposition opposing a dictator. She says, Trump's efforts to install a far-right opposition will only incite violence and further destabilize the region. Okay, a couple of things. One, Trump isn't the only one who has recognized Juan Guido, who is the the Guaido, who is the opposition president here. He's been recognized by virtually every Western country as well as nearly every country in South America. Also, he's not far-right. He is, wait for it, a social Democrat. He's a democratic socialist. He calls himself that. Right, he's, he's head of a party called the Popular Will. He's not far right, but Ilhan Omar is an idiot as well as, as a moral fool. She says, we must, supra- we must support Mexico, Uruguay, and the Vatican's effort to facilitate a peaceful dialogue. So she takes the short way to the same solution as Maduro. Bernie Sanders takes the long way. And what's amazing to me is how many people were taken in by this. Like a lot of people were taken in by Bernie Sanders' statement. Oh, look at, look at Bernie Sanders. He said the right thing. But Bernie Sanders comes to exactly the same conclusion as Ilhan Omar. Which is not a shock since bernie sanders supported the Sanzanistas right, the communist Sanzanistas in nicaragua who completely impoverished and destroyed their country and so here was, here was bernie sanders's statement he popped open well let let me pop open this pudding and then i will be in the mood to talk about venezuela the maduro government has waged a violent crackdown on venezuelan civil society violated the constitution by dissolving the national assembly and was re-elected last year in an election many observers said was fraudulent. The economy is a disaster, and millions are migrating. So, so far, everything he says is true. I'll also note, somebody should ask Bernie Sanders, why is the economy a disaster, Bernie? What happened in Venezuela to make the economy a disaster? Did they try, you know, a system of centralized government control and nationalization of industry and redistribution of wealth, maybe? Could that have something to do with it? Then Bernie Sanders continues, the United States should support the rule of law, fair elections, and self-determination for the Venezuelan people. We must condemn the use of violence against the unarmed protesters and the suppression of dissent. Again, all of this is good. All of this is right. But then he gets to the kicker. But, whenever there's a but after you say a bunch of correct stuff, it ain't gonna be good. He says, but, we must learn the lessons of the past and not be in the business of regime change or supporting coups, as we have in Chile, Guatemala, Brazil, and the DR. The U.S. has a long history of inappropriately intervening in Latin American nations. We must not go down that road again. He supported the Sandinistas. He literally supported the Sandinistas. And now he's supporting Nicolas Maduro. When you say that we can't get involved, really, what you're saying is leave Maduro in place because the military in Venezuela is backing Maduro. Things are going to get very ugly very quickly. We should be, we should be providing whatever covert support is necessary to see Maduro ousted. That doesn't mean put American troops on the ground. It means do exactly the same thing we've been doing with folks in Ukraine. If we have to give deadly weaponry to people who are opposing Maduro, do it. Give them what they need to fight Maduro. Okay, let's get to, you know what? Let's, let's do a little bit of mailbag since it has been a very long week. Daniel says, hey Ben, it seems to me that conservatives are not only willing to engage in dialogue, but also seek out dialogue with the mission of winning people over. Differently, the left seems to shut down dialogue and not seek to change people's mind in the same way. Why do you think this is the case? Is there something fundamental about the nature of the political spectrum that makes it so? Well, I think right now, there are a lot of folks on the left who believe that free speech is a hierarchical construct. They believe that free speech itself only benefits people who have historically been powerful, and thus we need to suppress voices in order so that other voices may flourish and bloom. This is what Herbert Marcuse called repressive tolerance. He suggested that what we actually need is to repress certain voices so tolerance can spring forth in all of its glory. This is what you hear on college campuses when people say white privilege, what they mean is shut up, whitey. Let everybody else talk. And this is the case that they are making. Now, they're not wrong that in, that in historical terms, white people have had more ability to talk than non-white people. They are wrong that because history was bad, we should make, hit, we should make the present bad as well by shutting people up. Randall says, Hi, Ben, I keep hearing from leftists that while AOC's m- b- Medicare for all plan is expensive, $32 trillion plus over 10 years, it would actually be cheaper than the current projected health care expenses over that same period. Is this even possible without severely degrading the current level of health services? Thanks. So the answer is no. It means destroying the entire health care industry. Number two, it'll be a lot more expensive than $32 trillion over 10 plus years. Trying to simply trade in private spending for public spending is not equivalent. Private spending is voluntary spending. What you choose to spend on your medical care versus what the government is going to spend on your medical care is not the same number. When they say it will cost $32 trillion over 10 years, they mean in public expenditures. You are still going to be buying supplemental health insurance. So it's just a lie. It's not true. The, I, I, if I don't mistake, I believe, I think, I don't want to get this wrong. I believe that the estimate, if you include private spending, would be something like $47 trillion over 10 years. Randy says, may I get a list of the top two or three sites you use for your facts and stats on the four to five issues of importance? Thank you. Well, you know, I do like to check stats from all sides. I, I, the, the Bureau of Government Statistics is pretty good. The Commerce Department has statistics. The FBI has statistics. Government stats are generally not argued with as much as other people's stats, but you know, I, I will check a variety of, of different outlets. So I'll check Center for American Progress Statistics and Heritage Foundation Statistics. Uh, I will check statistics from the American Enterprise Institute, and I will check, I will check statistics from the Brookings Institute. So try, try to get a wide variety if you can. Connor says... What does the Jewish read on the third commandment about not taking God's name in vain? So in, in halacha, in, in Jewish law, you're not supposed to use God's name when you're not making a bracham, when you're not making a blessing, because the idea is that you are degrading his name. But on a conceptual level, I like Dennis Prager's take on this. Dennis Prager's take on this is that if you say that God is in favor of something that God has not himself said he is in favor of, then you are taking his name in vain. You're perverting what he wants and making it your own, and that's, that's a real act of, of deep evil. Let's see. Renata says, hey, hey Lord Ben. Hmm. Interesting. I'm writing to you because in one of my classes, one of my fellow students brought up how the Nordic countries have all these social welfare programs and how much better they are. So I felt the need to speak up and brought up the issue that people making over 60K are taxed about 50%, depending on which country you are in. Their response was, who cares? You don't need that much anyway when the government is taking care of X. On top of that, the professor then stepped in and said, obviously, they are doing something right there since they are consistently ranked as some of the happiest countries in the world. So my question to you is, how would you have responded to that situation? Not gonna lie, I folded a little under pressure since it seemed like it was me versus the whole class. Well, it's, uh, it's very hard when everybody is attacking you, but here's the reality. In order for them to determine whether it is in fact socialism that has made these countries happy, you would have to look at their happiness ratings and their social standing before these countries had piled a bunch of socialist welfare programs on top of a capitalist base. So look back to the 40s and 50s and 60s. And it turns out these countries were already some of the happiest on earth. It turns out that the Nordic countries already had great health care, that the Nordic countries already had a good economy, that they had all of these things before you started tacking on top third way Nordic socialism. And there's a great book called, uh, uh, "What?" now I'm, I'm going to forget the name of the book. Uh, I've recommended it on the on the program um, before. I, Debunking Utopia is the name of the book. Uh, and it was written by a guy who is from Norway. Uh, and he, uh, let me, I'm going to look up the, the name of it. Nima Sanandaji, that's his name. I've recommended it on the show before. He talks about all of these myths. It's called Exposing the Myth of Nordic Socialism. Well worth the read. He talks specifically about the fact that prior to the advent of all of these social welfare programs, everything was going pretty well in these places before. They already had high levels of social cohesion. Bottom line is this. When you have a society where there are very high levels of social cohesion, virtually any system will work well for a time, for a time. But only for a time, meaning that they've only been trying this for a couple of decades. It actually has tamped down economic growth in a large number of these countries. And remember, if the United States were to destroy its own economy on the shoals of redistributionism, there's not going to be a lot of foreign investment into the United States if we change our economic system to make it less friendly to business. There's not going to be a lot of entrepreneurialism. There's not going to be a lot of growth. Everybody likes to talk about how healthcare in other countries is so great. Who do you think pays for the development of all the medical devices and drugs? Like A huge number of the patents, the majority of patents on planet Earth are coming from the United States in the healthcare system. We pay a premium for that, but it's also why most of these big healthcare companies are based in the United States. The healthcare, without, without American customers paying high prices for services in the private sector, healthcare would not have developed in the way that it has. Everybody else is living off the cream of the land. The United States is doing the hard work. So socialists say, okay, well, why don't we do that too? Well, then because there is nobody to support the base upon which this socialist pile of garbage stands at the top. And Lila says, my husband and I have two children approaching school age. We're debating private school, but our local private school is extremely expensive. We would be able to afford it, but just barely. How important do you think keeping your children out of the public school system is? Well, it depends on the public school system. So some local public schools are still quite good. Like when I was growing up, I went to the Burbank Unified School District. Very good school district. I went to Edison Elementary School. It was great. And then when I was a teenager, I went to... Walter Reed Junior High, not as good. Okay, so it really depends on the high school and the local school. But if you have a bad public school and a great private school, you got to do what you got to do to get your kid a solid education and protect them from the predations of a bad system. Okay, a couple more questions here. Let's see, Brad says, hi, Ben, I'm I'm a working married father of one, soon to be two kids. I would like to have more children, but is it wrong of me to be pessimistic about the future considering the left's agenda of abortion, socialism, anti-religion, etc.? No, I mean, I've said that I tend to be a pessimist because the nice thing about being a pessimist is you're always right, eventually. But that is not a good reason not to have kids. I mean, kids are one of the reasons that you should be optimistic about the world because who's going to fight for the right stuff if you don't have the kids? Cardin says, hey Ben, huge fan, just subscribed last week. Easily the best 99 bucks spent this year. Well done, Cardin. My question is, why do you think all these Hollywood celebrities are becoming way more political, Kathy Griffin and Alyssa Milano, while politicians are becoming more like celebrities? AOC, thanks for all you do. Well, I think that the people in Hollywood understand that in the end, what they are doing every day is not deeply important. And so what they want to do is involve themselves in the important stuff, the really important stuff. And that really important stuff is politics. You have to understand that for folks in Hollywood... Everybody has their celebrities. We have our Hollywood celebrities. Our Hollywood celebrities have political celebrities. Barack Obama was a political celebrity for people in Hollywood. And so all these people want to be associated with important causes. And the way they get involved with these important causes is by speaking out politically and becoming famous for speaking out idiotically politically. Politicians are becoming more like celebrities because of TV, because we have short attention spans, because the best way to get attention is to act more like a celebrity, like AOC, than like a politician, like Nancy Pelosi, for example. It took Nancy Pelosi decades to get to this point in prominence. It took AOC five seconds. Griffin says, Dear Ben, after a long week of news, I want to ask you a baseball question. Yes, excellent. Since you too are a fan of America's pastime, what were your thoughts on the new inductees in the 2019 Hall of Fame vote? Do you think Mariano Rivera deserved being the first unanimous inductee, or are there any past players that should have been given the nod? Okay, so let's start with that one, then we'll get to the next baseball question. So, Mariano Rivera is the greatest reliever in the history of baseball. Should he have been a unanimous inductee? No, if I, had known, if I had been a baseball writer, I would have voted against him specifically so he would not be unanimous <laughs> because I believe that the, the person with the highest percentage before that, aside from, I think, Ruth and Cobb, uh, would have been Tom Seaver. The idea that, that Mariano Rivera, if you're identifying percentage of the vote with best baseball player of all time, then no, of course, he shouldn't get 100% of the vote. He should be in the Hall of Fame, but no reliever should be receiving 100% of the vote. Again, his wins over replacement not as high as I would say many of the starters in the Hall of Fame, maybe the majority of starters in the Hall of Fame. Okay, let's see. Uh, also, do you think Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens will make it in the Hall? Yes, I think Clemens and Bonds will both make it. I think the reason they will eventually make it is because they had stellar careers before they took steroids. You know, that's the difference between them and, for example, Jose Canseco, who was taking steroids the entire time. Bonds only started taking steroids after he'd already been, I think, twice an LMVP. And Roger Clemens. Only started taking steroids after he'd already been a couple-time Cy Young Award winner and the most dominant pitcher of his generation. Forrest says, you got Bernie, Trump, Obama, Beto. Why don't you have an AOC voice yet? It's harder to do female voices. I mean, because I'm a biological male. I know, shocker. The the only female voice that I do regularly is Nancy Pelosi. And Nancy Pelosi is more just kind of shifting around her dentures. It's Nancy Pelosi. So that that really is the extent of, of the female voices I do. If if you were gonna do an AOC voice, it would really be more an affect, right? It'd be more like the world is an unfair place. It's just like it's unfair. And we all know it's unfair. See, it's not great. It's not great. I need I need I need to work on it, but I'm not sure it's worthwhile working on it because she's self parodical. And again, SNL already did her, right? She was the girl that you wish you hadn't gotten into a conversation with over Christmas. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Cole says, Dear Ben, I'm not sure which Marvel films you have and haven't seen. What are your thoughts on Captain America, The Winter Soldier? It's often regarded as the best Marvel film by hardcore fans. I think the themes present throughout make it more than your standard superhero movie. I got to say, I'm not a Captain America fan in the movies. Not just because Chris Evans said on Twitter that he dislikes me, Um, but also because I just think that he's a block of wood. I just don't think he's a very good actor. I mean, you put him on the same screen as Robert Downey Jr. and no one wants to watch Chris Evans. I remember watching The Winter Soldier. I don't remember. I, I, I honestly do not remember five minutes of that movie. This is my problem with Marvel movies in general. I think Marvel is best when they're light, like Thor Ragnarok and, yes, Ant-Man. Like, honestly, I think, I think that's where they're best. I think Marvel is weakest when they try to take on serious themes. I think DC is best when they take on serious themes like The Dark Knight. I think they are weakest when they attempt to do the jokey-jokey stuff because they can't do it as well as Marvel. Um, all right, one more question and then we're done. Uh, Blake says, hi, Ben, my brother and I disagree on everything about except uh, about everything except Ohio State football. I'm pretty conservative. He's very liberal. I recently told him the government shutdown doesn't bother me much because it shows the checks the branches have on each other. He counter argued that with that Trump is abusing his power by using people's paycheck as a bargaining chip. Are shutdowns part of the checks and balances or is it an abuse of power on either side, whether it be the president or Congress? No, it's part of the checks and balances of power. It's going to be fine. Ask your brother whether he felt the same way when Obama was refusing to sign a bill. Like the, the president doesn't have an obligation to sign a funding bill. He doesn't. So, yes, it's just part of the checks and balances. Congress has given the power of the purse strings, and the president has the power to veto. All So let's do a couple of things I like, and then we'll do a thing I hate. So things that I like today, my friend Steve Dace over at Conservative Review has a book out called Truth Bombs. It's worth picking up. Steve's an interesting writer with an interesting perspective, and it's it's a good read. I mean, I've read the book, so go pick that up. Truth. You know, it's been a long week. Let's let's hate some stuff. Let's just go to things I hate. So hatred of religion has become very trendy these days. I I love that Richard Dawkins, who is not world's greatest human. Richard Dawkins tweeted out this yesterday. Contemplation of World War One and Two persuades me that patriotism, my country right or wrong, might be even more evil than supernatural faith. Italians in 1943 deserve credit for finally turning on their preposterous duce, but for Germans, the lure of patriotic loyalty was too strong. Okay, a couple things. A couple of key factors in the defeat of the Nazis, as well as communism. Patriotism and supernatural faith. Okay, people in World War II fighting on behalf of the United States were patriots. People fighting on behalf of the Soviet Union, which helped defeat the Nazis, were patriots. Belief in God was a key component to the West's fight against both Soviet communism and Nazism. Right? It, was, it was the Pope visiting Poland that helped to increase the labor movement in Poland, helping to lead to the decline of the Soviet Union. So Richard Dawkins lo- knows less about history than he does about the Bible. One of the great points of irritation for me is that you know, I actually spend time trying to read as much about science as I can, as much about neurobiology as I can, you know, try, trying to read about topics that people like Richard Dawkins like to talk about. And I like to read about evolution. I find it interesting. Richard Dawkins spent two minutes with a Gideon Bible and thinks that he is now an expert on religion. It's highly irritating. Like, I will acknowledge Richard Dawkins knows way more about biology than I do, but he knows less than my daughter does about religion. And then he had to apologize. He says, sorry for failing to say those who bravely fought for the allies in World War II may have been patriotic, but unlike Axis soldiers, no need for my country right or wrong. Their country was right. They were fighting Hitler. I joined them, but not for reasons of patriotism and not World War I. Okay, well, I mean, if we're going to define patriotism, as my country right or wrong, then of course no one of good faith is in favor of that because if your country is slaughtering people en masse for no reason, then you'd probably not want to be in favor of your country doing that. But I love that he's able to separate out patriotism for the United States and patriotism for Germany for purposes of declaring it patriotism. If you want to say nationalism, that's a more accurate description. But patriotism, that's foolishness. And of course his arguments about religion are just full-scale stupid. It's just not even close to reality. Okay, what? Let's see one more quick thing. So I'm not I wasn't sure whether to put this in things I like or things I hate. So, Mark Lamont Hill, who you will remember, went to the U.N. and called from, from the river to the sea, Palestine should be free. The destruction of the state of Israel. Mark Lamont Hill was on a radio show recently and he let it slip that a bunch of Democrats agree with him, which, of course, we knew. If I had a dollar for every progressive member of Congress, for every progressive faculty member, for every progressive uh, 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 cable news or otherwise TV commentator who sent me a private message saying, I I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) You can almost hear the whispers in the message. I agree with you. But, uh, you know, stay strong. But this is why I don't say anything. I wouldn't need a TV job. I'd have so much money. I mean, it's actually stunning uh, to see uh, how people have responded. I am sure this is 100% true. I am sure this is 100% true and that there are lots of Democrats and members of the media who have expressed their their support for Mark Lamont Hill and who won't come out and say it publicly. I think everyone should come out and say if they agree with Mark Lamont Hill so we can determine whether to take you seriously as a human or not. Okay, final thing that I hate is more silly. The Super Bowl is going to have male cheerleaders. I don't believe that this is going to be like the cool kind of male cheerleaders who throw the ladies up in the air at the college football games. I believe that it's just a bunch of men who are dancing alongside the women. Now, Let's, be, yeah, that's what it is. I guess they're, they are going to dance with the women performing all the same moves. Uh, the, the people's names are Peron and Ginnis. That's the name Quintin Quentin Peron and Napoleon Ginnis who are going to be part of the cheerleading squad. One of them said that it's like a fairy tale, adding it's been a crazy 10 months, dancing hard, really engaging with our community, and our team, and supporting our players. I can't believe that we made it to this point. I'm pretty sure it's showing off that we've been working so hard. Okay, let me just express how dumb this is. Okay. Is cheerleading sexist? Is it a bunch of men ogling women? Of course it is. Okay, are we are going to pretend that it's not? That, that is, of course, what it is. Naturally, like, yes. Now, am I in favor of cheerleading? As a general rule, no. If we're going to pretend now that cheerleading is all about the beauty of dance and we're going to have them do like modern art pieces or something, all right, but that's not what this is. Okay, And to pretend that women are viewing male cheerleaders the same way men view female cheerleaders is simply silly. Let's just acknowledge what cheerleading is for what it is. I'm all in favor of, of ending it if it really is just kind of a, a dumbed-down strip club routine. But if it's an actual, you know, gymnastic routine, that's a cool thing. But then let guys do what guys do, which is lift heavy objects, in this case, namely women, and throw them high into the air. I love this idea that what, what it's really about is the art of the dance. Yeah, sure. Sure. Y- you tell yourself that, guys. You tell yourself that, NFL. It was never sexist. Of course it was sexist. Can we just, like, tell truths here? <laughs> Apparently not. Cheerleading was all about respect for the bodies of women. Mm-hmm. This is why, again, I, I was never. This is why I like baseball. No cheerleaders in baseball. All righty. So we will be back here a little bit later today. This is why you should subscribe. We have two hours later today. I'm sure there will be lots of updates on Roger Stone and the FAA and all the rest. So be there or be square. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senia Villarreal, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey guys, over on the Matt Wall Show today, we're going to talk about a New York Times reporter who uh, went fishing on Twitter for negative stories about Christian schools because he wants to write a hit piece. But I'm thinking with all this scrutiny... On Christian schools. What about public schools? Why isn't there an exposed public schools campaign happening? And also, we'll talk about a woman at the Women's March sexually assaulting a man on camera, yet there is no backlash, no outrage, nobody cares. Um, But I think people should care. And we'll talk about that as well today over on The Matt Walsh Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First,